Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be together, and I really, really hope you're doing well this morning. Um, why does the resurrection matter, and what does it mean for us today? We're going to read from Revelation chapter 1, which was penned by the Apostle John. It was a revelation that God gave him on the Isle of Patmos because he'd been exiled there because he wouldn't stop talking about the fact that he believed Jesus had come back from death and he'd witnessed it and experienced it for himself. And John has this dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus in the book of Revelation that we're going to read about in just a moment. Uh, but here's the thing about John. John wrote the Gospel of John and we know he had a friendship with Jesus over a number of years. John knew what it was to talk with Jesus to walk with Jesus. He even knew what it was to have his smelly feet washed by Jesus. In fact, John, uh, in John 13, you notice that John was that disciple who often liked to tell people when he got to sit next to Jesus at the dinner table. Kind of reminds me of like a six-year-old birthday party. Who gets to sit next to the birthday boy? But John was into that stuff. He was a deep, deep, loyal friend of Jesus. And yet in these verses we're about to read, we see that he sees a whole new side of Jesus that is even more magnificent and wonderful than even the wonderful, amazing side of Jesus he'd seen in his earthly ministry. So let's read together from Revelation 1 verse 17. The whole chapter is good, but we're going to cut in here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus holds the keys. And John had been in lockdown for a long time on the Isle of Patmos. It feels like we've been in lockdown for quite a while now, doesn't it? But these are exciting times for us because things are slowly beginning to unlock, aren't they? And these are wild and crazy times if you want to get your hair cut, the, the barber's uh, trimmer is humming away. And uh, these are exciting times if you want to go and buy plants at the garden centre. Uh, these are probably slightly nerve-wracking times if you're a five-a-side player and you're worried about your fitness levels and that uh, deadline is lifting in a couple of weeks' time. But things are beginning to unlock. Well, the risen Lord Jesus wants to unlock things in our lives today to do with the way we think, to do with the way we feel, to do with the way we are. And he's here to do that. So let's just pray together that he come and meets us through his word. Risen Lord Jesus, we welcome you into our midst as we gather to your word. We invite you to come and change our hearts, come and change our lives. Lord, you're so powerful and we welcome you here. Come and draw near to us, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to us as you always do. I pray you'd draw near to us and heal those who are sick in body, mind or spirit. Because you are able to do that. We welcome you, Lord. Amen. These first words, do not be afraid, they mirror exactly the words that Jesus spoke to the first group of witnesses who saw him when he rose from death physically. And those first witnesses were a group of women who'd gone to the tomb of Jesus, they'd seen where he was laid, and then they'd come back on the third day on Sunday morning to anoint his body with spices, as was their custom. 
And when they got to the tomb, they discovered that the tombstone had been rolled away. They discovered that the grave was empty. There was no body inside it. There were some grave clothes left behind. And there was an angel there announcing that Christ was risen. And that they should not live, look for the living among the dead. But they should go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And so it says they were filled with joy. And they were filled with uh, fear as well. But they hurried along to go and find the others. And then Jesus stops them. He appears to them personally. And he says, greetings, do not be afraid. And it's been said that the first witnesses, being these women, adds authenticity and credibility to the gospel accounts. Back in a day and time when a woman's testimony was viewed as inadmissible in a course of law, if you therefore wanted to make up a story that was going to be believed around the world, you simply wouldn't incorporate witnesses into your story that could be so easily dismissed by anybody who read it and said, well, that's just not credible. But I love the resurrection narrative because Jesus didn't think these women were unreliable. In fact, he chose them to be the ones who would uh, share his story with all of the others. Amy or Ewing, she wrote a really great article recently, and she added that Jesus' choice of these particular women to, to witness his resurrection firsthand adds other helpful things for us as the reader today. She says, for example, the story comes across as deeply personal. Who's not weeping along with Mary as Jesus calls her by name? And the level of detail that is incorporated as they know exactly where the body has been put and where it should have been. And we are also drawn in by their authenticity, by their humble, honest, and at times self-deprecating manner as they honestly admit they have questions. Where have they laid him? Where's he gone? For us as the 21st century reader, we have so many questions. The fact that they asked them too and found their answers is deeply helpful to us. And yet their testimony held up under scrutiny, even when others didn't believe them. So they hurried to tell the others. And en route, Jesus appeared to them and he says, greetings. I love that. I love that the risen Jesus, what does he spend his time doing when he comes back from death? He goes around saying hello to as many people as he can. And that seems to be what he does. He's, you know, he's there for 40 days between his resurrection and his uh, ascension. So he appears to Mary, he appears to these women, he appears to the 12, he appears on the road to Emmaus, to those two disciples, he appears to the 12 again, this time including Thomas, because Thomas missed out the first time. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 people at once. We'd call that a mass gathering, wouldn't we? And uh, the, the, the funny thing is, all of the accounts, Jesus is greeting his people. In fact, there's not one incident that we read where Jesus went and found anybody else. Now, isn't that interesting who he didn't ever appear to? On my list might have been people like Pontius Pilate or Herod or Caiaphas or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. I mean, those Sadducees, they didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Just to knock on that door. Bye. Um, but Jesus, he loves 
saying hello to his people. He loves being with you. He loves being with you and me today as we're with him and listening to him today. The risen Jesus is with us. And that's quite a thought, isn't it? Sometimes when we think when we come to pray to God, we... um, when we, sometimes we think when we pray to God, we, we think it's us initiating a conversation. How wonderful is this that every time we pray, Jesus has already said, hello, I'm here. Welcome. Good to be here. And he says, do not be afraid. So as we read these words, let's read it personally. Let Jesus put his hand on you like he did to John. He doesn't have to social distance from us. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. So why should we not be afraid? And Jesus gives John the answer. And he says, because Jesus says, I am the first and the last. In other places in Revelation, he's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and last letter of the alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He's before all things and he's beyond all things. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says... In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. That's quite a stretch, isn't it? He's going to inherit everything one day. And he created everything. And he's before all things and he's beyond all things. And some of us, We find real security in looking backwards. We like to look at things like history and data and track records. And that kind of gives us a sense of comfort. For others of us, we're not so much comforted about it. We're comforted by the idea of what's in the future. We're comforted by the idea of what might happen and possibilities and things that could change. Some people find that very energizing. Well, Jesus is the Lord over history And he's the Lord over eternity. And he's the Lord over everything in between. Because that same verse in Hebrews says that this risen Jesus is now sustaining all things by his powerful word. He's Lord over all of the in-between bits. He keeps the planets orbiting the stars. He keeps the electrons spinning around their nucleus. He keeps the blood pumping around our bodies between the days marked out for us. He's sustaining us. He's sustaining us through perhaps what is a challenging season at the moment. So we do not need to be afraid. Here's another reason, though, that we do not need to be afraid. He says in verse 18, he says, because I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And here's the first comforting thing about that that he's never going to die again. He's going to live forever and ever and ever. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a permanent feature of the Jesus that we love and worship. He will never die. But he does seem to draw particular attention to the fact that he did die. He doesn't dismiss that. He doesn't kind of regard that as unfortunate. He says part of the glory of his living nature now is that he overcame death. He was the one who died. He was the one who was in the tomb. He was the one who died on the cross. You know, his death and resurrection are a package. You can't have one without the other. You can't be a Christian that skips over the, either the significance 
of the cross or the significance of the resurrection. His death makes his resurrection miraculous. His resurrection makes his death glorious. Now this living one, back from death today, makes these declarations over you because he speaks. And I want us to look just in these last few minutes at the declarations that the living one makes over your past, over your future and over your present. Firstly, about your past. The living one says, first of all, that your past failures have been dealt with once and for all. They've been paid for. Hebrews 10 says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The full price for sin has been paid. The full punishment taken by Jesus. There's no more to be had. But those sins have also been cleansed. 1 John 1.7 says the blood of Jesus, his, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Your sins are remembered no more. By the God who can remember and knows everything, he chooses not to remember your sin. They've gone forever. Here's the second thing about your past that's changed. Your standing with God has been changed. At the cross where your sin became Christ's, his righteousness became yours. The Bible calls this being justified. And it, it really means it's just as if I'd never sinned. You're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus as a gift, as a robe put on you. It says, since we have been justified by his blood, it's already happened. That's not something you have to earn. It's something that's already yours because of the cross. It's in the past. And here's the third thing that he says about your past, this living one. He says that your enemies have already been defeated. Colossians 2 verse 15, it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Sometimes people talk about the battle between good and evil. Well, Jesus at the cross beat Satan. He beat every demon he beat every power of darkness, every principality and power. I felt today there might be somebody watching this and you'd been involved with the occult a bit and it's just left you very, very fearful. I felt today the living one just wants to grab your hand and say, do not fear. Do not fear because he's overcome. Now, Satan can still annoy. Satan can still accuse one day the accuser of the brothers will be thrown out forever. There's still this time when he's still active, but he's a defeated foe. It's all done at the cross in the past for you. If you want to read more about what Jesus did on the cross in the past for you, then I'd love to invite you to do pod three, which is a discipleship course that we run at King's. It's such a good tool to just go deeper in understanding these things. But let's also look at what this living one says about your future. Here's the first thing he says about your future. He says, your death is not the end. There are many euphemisms for death in our culture. If, if your first language is not English, I'm sorry, this probably doesn't translate. But we, we talk about people um, kicking the bucket or pushing up daisies or people croaking 
or people biting the dust, or popping their clogs. Why do we use such expressions? And it's because we don't like talking about death, because it feels so final. It's just easier to use a phrase that doesn't quite say it like it is. But perhaps there is a way that death can be undone. Jesus said, He who believes in me will live even though they die. It's what the living one says over you. You'll live even though you die if you believe in him. There's a promise of eternal life with Jesus and his people forever. But here's the second thing that he says about your future. He says that your physical body will be raised to life. Jesus was the firstborn from death and he had a physical body. He wasn't a ghost. He could eat. He could touch. He could be touched. You will receive a physical resurrected body like his. One day free from pain and full of life. Still fully you, but fully glorified and like Jesus. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. You might have read it in the Bible reading plan this week. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, of believers. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Human beings were perishable and we grow weak. And Jesus turns it around at the resurrection that is to come. So he's making declarations about your past. He's making declarations about your future. And this loving one, he has things to say about you right now. Here's the first declaration he'd make. He would say, your weaknesses don't define you. Because he promised that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and that you will be his witnesses. He declares that his resurrection power is made perfect in your weakness. That means that temptation can be resisted. It means that challenges can be withstood because he lives in you. The risen Jesus lives in you by his spirit. It means that if you're lacking confidence, confidence can be found because Jesus, who is full of confidence, the Lord of life, is living inside of you. Your weaknesses, therefore, don't define you. The one who lives within you now defines you. Here's the second declaration he would make about your presence, that you have a calling and a purpose to bless the world with his presence and to make his kingdom come. You see, the risen, ascended Jesus, it says in Ephesians 4, he gave gifts to his people. And those gifts vary from prophesying to serving to tongue speaking to miracle working to generosity to showing kindness and mercy and leadership and teaching and caring. But the risen Jesus has given you gifts. Now, over this last year, some of those gifts have probably changed around a bit. You've probably found some gifts you didn't have and some others have perhaps grown dormant as you've had less opportunity to practice them and use them. I just see a picture of the risen Jesus, just like he did with those disciples. It says one time he breathed on them, he blew on them. And 
He said, receive the Spirit. I feel like he just wants to blow dust off uh, some of the gifts that have lying dormant in us over this last year. He's bringing those things back to life. Perhaps that's for you today. Here's the third and final thing that I want to cover. I could say so much more, but the, 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 the risen Jesus wants to say to us in the present, he wants to say that we can expect our prayers to be answered. His kingdom will come when we pray. How do we know? Because he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And because Jesus is alive, it says he ever lives to intercede for us. That means we don't need to worry about our prayers not being the best. It's been so good to learn on the prayer course, hasn't it, how to pray. But here's the wonderful thing. We have one who intercedes on our behalf. He, he perfects every imperfect prayer, every impure motive. He brings it to the Father and he tweaks it. And he makes it acceptable so that God will always answer our prayers. I want to encourage you, as Luke already has, please join on Friday night. I, uh, for, for this church prayer gathering right across Edinburgh and the Lothians. We're so excited to be a part of that. We'd love to see hundreds and hundreds of people gathering from across the church in our city to pray for such a time as this. This is a turning point, a moment for the kingdom of God and for the church in our city and our land. And God will answer our prayers because he's risen and he's alive from death. So the past the future and the present. I think when Jesus greeted the women and when he greeted all of those different groups of disciples, have you ever given somebody a knowing look when you know something about them and and you know a bit of information and they do as well and you just have to smile and you just have to raise your eyebrows and they know exactly what you mean. I feel whenever Jesus showed himself in his resurrection appearances, all of what was said would have gone through his mind And through the minds of his followers, this is what he's achieved for us. And all he had to do was say, hello. And people were overjoyed to know what having a risen saviour meant for them, for their past, for their future and for their present. Let me ask you, do you believe it? See, he's got the keys. Have you let him unlock things in your heart and mind today? There was once a... Uh, an escapologist called Harold Houdini. You've maybe heard of him. And he made a great name for himself. He could pretty much escape any prison cell in the world, any straight jacket you put in, any handcuffs. He could just literally follow you out the door in seconds of being, um, uh, of being tied up. Except one time when he found himself in a prison cell and as soon as they closed the door, he got to work, he got a pin out of his belt and he... Uh, started to pick the lock and minutes went by minutes turned into hours and after two hours he finally threw himself at the door exasperated and he said I can't do it and the door just opened because it had never been locked see the door he couldn't open was the one that hadn't been locked and today it could be that you're living behind locked doors because you've never realised that Jesus has already unlocked the greatest enemies in your life. Death, the grave, every other thing that could stand against you. Jesus has the power to unlock and he's unlocked the door. So today I want to invite you to put your trust in him.
and to invite him to come and live in your heart by faith. I'm going to pray the, uh, the words of Paul from Ephesians chapter 1 as we close. Let's pray together. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That same power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come.